You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been looking at the names of Jesus and what they mean for you and I, the significance behind a name. Uh, there, there are defining moments for us in our lives where we uh, remember where we were when we heard the news. I, I remember um, when this whole thing, COVID, came about, and we sat there on the couch as a family, and they said that schools were going to be shut down, and my kids cheered, and we cried. And, uh, no, but it was just like this moment of like, what is happening? Uh, or for some, I remember in high school, I remember being in a portable classroom in Malden High School uh, when the Twin Towers fell. For some that are a little bit older, you remember when JFK was assassinated, or we may remember when, when Challenger exploded, or there's, there's different defining moments in the uh, history, especially of our country, where, where it happens, and it's just like everything stops, and you're like, what in the world is going on? You're like, Matt, why would you start a message so somber? <laughs> um, what, what I want us to do today is as we, we're going to get to the name in a minute, but we really have to understand the context of what's going on. Because what we're going to read is we're going to be in a moment in the history of God's people that was one of these formative moments, a moment when when things were turned on end, Uh, a moment where they were in a situation where where what's going to happen next, I'm not sure. Uh, We we talked about this, but we're actually going to, I'm going to read from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. I hinted at this last week as we talked about um, Jesus being our high priest, but let me give us a little bit of setup before we get there. Um, God's people, the Israelites, they have been in the promised land for about 700 years uh, at this point. Uh, they've been ruled for the first 400 years by judges. Judges were appointed by God. They were, they were the military, spiritual, political leader of God's people. Um, and then after that, we see a season uh, over 120 years of, of kings. And we see King Saul, King David, King Solomon, uh, and these were the, the, the ones that God had entrusted to lead his people. Uh, but then chaos ensues and the, the, God's kingdom separates into northern and southern kingdom, uh, riddled with bad leaders. Uh, northern kingdom, 18 different kings, all of them horrible, evil, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, southern kingdom, there was a couple of good ones sprinkled in. Uh, there were some that, that did right before the Lord and there's others that did not. And so there's, there's constant wars going on. Uh, the, the northern kingdom is trying to attack the southern kingdom. Uh, there's, there's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's, there's all this kind of unrest. But right now, as the king is a guy named Uzziah, he's a good, godly man. He's a godly king. And so there's at least confidence in the leader of who's been appointed. But the sad thing is, As he feared the Lord and as he saw God do great things in him and through him, pride crept into his story and he rebelled. And he went into the temple and like we talked about a couple weeks ago that there's certain responsibilities that only the priest could do. Well, he took that responsibility on himself and as a result, the Lord allowed him to get leprosy and he died. So there's turmoil around, there's chaos there's, there's this good, godly king who's in place and who doesn't just die, but dies tragically with a sense of shame and rebellion and leaves God's people like, what are we to do? So Isaiah chapter six, we're gonna start in verse one. 
says in the year that King Uzziah died, which now we know isn't just like, here's the name, it died, he died. But we, we understand some backstory. We understand those defining moments in our life where we just, everything stops and we question what's going to happen next. God's people are like, hey, the good godly king has died. And that's this marker of a year. Isaiah the prophet said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We talk about the train of a, of a gown that just dignifies or signifies royalty, that God's train fills the entire temple. Verse two, above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. Sorry, side note, I said this earlier. Uh, we never see, like when you think about like depictions of angels, like precious moments, you never see biblical angels because they would never sell. They'd be terrifying. Um, covered in eyes. Like what? Um, verse three, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook as the temple was filled with smoke. The, the worship shook. It was loud. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am, am a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean, I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken out with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this hand has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And then Isaiah basically says, Lord, here I am, send me. And God gives him a message to deliver to the people that won't listen to it. And this goes on for, for a season, but why, why so much set up? Why, why so much of this understanding? Because this is the background for which the name of Jesus that we're going to read comes to us. So it's not just a name, but there's a, there's, there's, everything God does is perfectly timed. And so we have a, a nation who's at unrest. The good godly king has died. His son comes to power, who's also godly. And then an evil king comes to power. And so it's in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of armies coming to invade, in the midst of, of evil political forces, in the midst of, of God, where are you? That we see this promise made 700 years before the birth of Jesus, made about him. Isaiah, turn over with me, Isaiah chapter seven, the next chapter, verse 10. It's in this tension, this conflict, this hopelessness that we see the promise. Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, who was the evil king. He said, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. He wasn't being humble, by the way. Verse 13, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him 
Emmanuel. That name Emmanuel means God with us. We, we see it twice in scripture. We're going to read both of those today. But, but God, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of uncertainty, the name that he reveals to us is, is not about his power. It's, it's not, we, we, Isaiah just saw this vision of him high and lifted up, but the name that he reveals, the name that he gives us is the name Emmanuel, God with us. What, what a dichotomy of, of, of a holy, perfect, all-powerful God, but with us. Sinful, insignificant at times, our lives in the grand scheme of eternity. Um, but God gives us the promise of Emmanuel. So three realizations I want to highlight from the text and from this promise. One is that Emmanuel, God with us, he empathizes with our pain or he empathizes with us and understands our pain. This idea that God is with us, that he, he is holy, that he is set apart, that he is all powerful, but he's, he's not distant, that he empathizes with us. Um, years ago, <clears throat> I was a part of, of uh, we were doing construction at a church and we were in the middle of building a stage. And uh, with regulation stuff, you have to use fire treated wood. And, um, and so it's got all these, I'm sure, non-toxic chemicals that are inside of it. Um, but it, it smells weird, too. But we were building them. And if you've ever built, like, a deck, they've, you've got these long, like, two-by-sixes, two-by-eights sometimes. And then you've got these uh, hangers that go in the end. Basically, it's a metal bracket that just holds that board onto another board. And so um, I was on the ground. I was sliding the hangers because um, they're kind of U-shaped along these boards down to the people that were on the other end. And as I did, there was a splinter um, on the board. Now, this isn't a fish story. <clears throat> um, the splinter went in one side of my hand and came out the other. Like it was, it was like this long. It's basically a two by four. So, um, <laughs> I, so this splinter, and I'm like, instantly, I'm like, that's not good. That shouldn't be there, right? Um, it was very, very painful. And no, I did not cry. But I'm at this moment, and I'm like, what do, what, what do I do with this? And so I as a dude, I'm like, I'll fix it. Somebody give me some pliers. And so with just my hands, I pull this thing out. But the problem was um, I couldn't get all of it out. And so somebody, I don't know if they went to a toolbox or CVS, but I had tweezers. And so uh, people were like offering to help. I'm like, no, thank you. Um, I will bless you if you do. Um, and so I, I sat there and, and for about an hour, I tried digging all of the pieces of the board out of my hand from one side and from the other. Uh, and, and I got a, got a, no, I don't have a picture. Um, I actually looked through my phone to see if I had one. I don't know if I ever took it, but it was finally, and then a voice of reason was probably my wife or a female said, why don't you go to the doctor? And which I did. And so they injected hydrogen peroxide in one side for it to come out the other and then kept doing the same thing. Um, but people offered to help, and I was like, don't touch me. Don't even breathe on it. Don't look at it. Because it, like, digging through your skin to do it is, like, really, really painful. I know it's like a splinter. Like, Matt, grow up. Um, don't be a little kid. But it was, it was so incredibly painful. I didn't want anyone to touch it. I didn't want to look at it. When we experience pain in our lives, we often have the same territorial perspective of it. Stay away. Don't, don't mess with this. And even when it comes to the Lord, 
because we, we have this, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how, how much this hurts, how bad this aches. You don't understand what this is. I just need time. I need to be able to fix it myself. I need to be able to work on this. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And, and I'm not talking just about physical pain. What about the pain of disappointment? What about the lingering pain of shame or of loss, betrayal, death? What, what, what about the, the deep like emotional, psychological pain that we, we go through? What, what do we do with that? How, 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 do, how, do we, how do we navigate? What do we... What do we do? And, and, as, and as, a, as a dad, I said this even last week, I'm, dads naturally sometimes are not the greatest at empathy. Like, I thought my son was just had a twisted knee. It was fractured. And I'm like, shake it off. Rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. My wife, she's great at empathy. She like, oh, I feel what you're feeling. And sometimes that is the greatest reward when we're hurting is just this idea of empathy. And and. This whole name of, of God being Emmanuel, it comes with so much connotation to it. That God is not distant in our pain, that he empathizes with us, that he's with us. Um, in college, my wife and I uh, went to the University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks. Don't worry, there's always next year. Um, we say it every year, so it's cool. Uh, we, we, we had a home church in Greenville, but, but on Wednesday nights, we found ourselves going to a, a church down there um, a pastor named Pastor Ken Jumper. He was amazing, is an amazing godly man. And uh, we, we went to his church. And, and honestly, that was the, the burden for, God did a massive work in my life and in her life uh, and gave us a deeper hunger for Jesus throughout college. And that's one of the reasons we do a college group at our house is because of what God did in us in that season. And, and so we, we would go to this church on Wednesday nights and um, just hearing his testimony, it was, it was just significant. His wife uh, went blind giving birth to their third daughter. And so he had the daily responsibility of, of somewhat being a single dad, took care of his, his three children every day. He, he, he loved his wife so dearly every day he got up and he would brush her hair and he would do her makeup. And it just weighed on him. And I remember him saying how he would just sit in bed sometimes and just weep. And it was this realization that, that God wasn't looking down on heaven with pity, but God was with him in his weeping. And it's this, this, this image and this picture that God is, yes, God is omnipotent and he is full of power, but he is also present. That the comfort for us is not just the removal of pain, but the comfort is that God is with us in the midst of it. That he empathizes with us, that he understands what you and I are going through. We, we talked about this, about God being our high priest. In Hebrews, it says that, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. God empathizes with us. He understands human nature because he stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, and walked with you and I. So he empathizes with us. And we also see this in the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. 
look at the birth account of Jesus, and we see this, this idea of, of, of pain and empathy played out. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, real talk, okay? How does one bring that up in a conversation? Like, how did, how did Mary start the conversation? Like, how, how was your day? By the way, got some news, I'm pregnant. What? You know, like, it's the Holy Spirit. Like, that's a hard pill to swallow, if I'm being honest. Brutally honest, right? You're in this conversation, it's like, you instantly assume the worst. Now, their, their, their marriage, they were, they were engaged, they were betrothed, they were, uh, it was legally binding, right? There would be a, a, they would go through a, this marriage ceremony, they'd be separated for a time, they would come back together, and that's when the marriage would be, like, final. And in this, she's pregnant. He's like, I'm waiting for the honeymoon. And she's like, I'm already pregnant, but it's not yours, but it's no one else's, it's God's. Let's go get some dinner. You know, like, how, how does this... How does this play out? And so Joseph, he, he loves Mary. He's, he's dedicated to her, but he's at this intersection of what, what do I do now? Do I, do I accept the idea that I could be married to someone who perhaps was unfaithful to me and have that constantly in the back of my mind? Or I can, I can end things with her quietly or I can actually expose her publicly and she could possibly face stoning to death or pay a fine. And so Joseph, being a, a righteous man, decides to, you know what, I'm just, I'm just gonna end it. I'm just gonna walk away. This isn't what I pictured. This isn't, um, this isn't what I wanted. But it, it, his heart aches. He's, he's in deep agony of pain. And we have to remember that God, Emmanuel, in the midst of our pain, is our healer. Verse, or second point. In confusion, he doesn't just give us a plan, but he gives us his presence. In our confusion, he doesn't just give us a plan, that he gives us his presence. What do, we, what do we do when our hearts and minds are flooded with confusion? When we get to a spot in our life and we're like, this is not what I pictured. God, I made plans for my life and these are not those. When, when, when we get to, a, a, uh, get to a spot when what we've wanted, what we've desired hasn't happened, when we get to a spot where everything is turned upside down, what do we do? What, what do we actually hold on to? And I think in the midst of like confusing circumstances in our life, the question that we have to wrestle, we have to ask is, Lord, are you in this? Because sometimes confusion is caused by us trying to walk out our life in our own knowledge, in our own understanding, in our own ability, in our own strength. And that's going to produce confusion always. But there's also a bit of confusion that comes when we walk by faith. Because we know the step, but we don't know the end goal. We don't know the plan. Because God is in control of it. 
And so there's this tension of weighing. The question has to be, Lord, are you in this? Am I walking in my own strength? Am I walking and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because I'm trying to do things my own way and that's why I'm confused? Or am I actually confused because I'm actually not in charge? I'm just being obedient. That's a good kind of confusion. But what do we hold on to in the midst of it? The, 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 the way we hold on to is that God is with us in the midst of it. That God is Emmanuel. The promise, God didn't say, here's the plan. He said, here's the promise. It was a, it was a detailed plan. It was a, it was a specific uh, promise. It was, it was unlikely of a specific promise that a virgin's going to conceive. You're like, those two don't add up. Last I checked. And, and he will be called Emmanuel. Let's keep going to verse 20. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded, commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I think there is a special grit and a, and a worth to our obedience that's costly. When we are obedient and it costs us, there, there's some grit to that, there's some weight to that, there's some worth to that. And, and we see this in Joseph. And we, we celebrate like the big moments, we celebrate the, the big steps of obedience, the big like God is, is calling me to, to leave this career or to leave, go to this city or God is specifically like giving me steps to take. And we, we celebrate those, those big moments of obedience because there's a bit of excitement with it. We're kind of like white knuckling it. But what about, what about the celebration of the obedience that's just called faithfulness? That's costly too. It's costly to stay when you want to leave. It's costly to forgive when you want to hold bitterness. It's costly when we want to be apathetic, but God is pressing us to be obedient and to be involved and active. And you know what it costs us? It costs us our pride. It costs us looking for the next shiny thing. It costs us giving up the forgiveness that we have withheld. It, it costs us giving up our bitterness. It costs us those things which are worth laying down. It's like human nature. We would, we, want to, we would easily rally to give money towards a special cause instead of, it's, it's a lot less flashy to just say, I'm gonna walk in obedience with my money and I'm gonna be a good steward, I'm gonna tithe and I'm gonna be, live generously towards other people. We often highlight and celebrate the one but not the other and God's like, I'm in that too. Because that costly, you know what it costs? It costs yourself. It costs us daily like dying to ourselves. 
And even for me, like this, this past week, I was just spending time with the Lord. I was praying like, God, give me, give me a word. Like, what is, how do I need to grow? How, how, how do I need to be challenged? Like, what is it? Like, you want me in this season? And the Lord just put a word, the word steadfast on my mind, on my heart. It's like, I, I want to be steadfast. I, I want to be unwavering. I want to be consistent. I want to be faithful. I want to be, I want to be steadfast. And even looking over notes last night and rereading the scriptures, I was brought to, back to Isaiah when I was talking about Uzziah's son, Jotham. It says, Jotham grew powerfully because he walked steadfastly before the Lord. This idea of being steadfast, of trusting the God, not, not trusting in God, not just with a plan. When we ask God for wisdom, we typically say, God, what's the plan for this? What are the next four steps? How is this going to end up? We want the plan and we want the results. But if we have God's plan and has, have God's results, what we often leave behind is to walk in the presence of God, trusting and depending upon the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. God is not after compliant robots. God is after a people who he loves. He's after our hearts. And so he's going to say, hey, hey, here, here's the next step. And we take it. And he's like, you know what? Here's the next step. And take it. And here's, because you know what? When we walk like that, we have to walk with him. We see that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, because we don't know the next step. And that's terrifying and exhilarating and comforting at the same time. God, what do you, what do you want from me? What is my next step? How do you want me to grow in the midst of confusion, when there's voices everywhere, when, when every person on Instagram or TikTok is an expert at everything. We need truth. And we need the presence of God. That Emmanuel, that he is the light in our confusion. And then lastly, is that Emmanuel is the source of our hope and our joy. Emmanuel, God with us. The hope wasn't just in a plan. The hope was that God stepped out of heaven and dwells among us, that he is with us in the midst of it, that he is our hope. I invite the band to come back up. We, we, we find hope and joy in all kinds of stuff, let's be honest. I love food. Sometimes I find joy in it, like a good meal, like you cooked it for a long time. We find hope in... How much is in our bank account? We find hope in how much toilet paper we stockpile during COVID. <laughs> or paper towels, or Lysol wipes. We can find things to put our false hope in and to find temporary happiness in. And it comes in a box in two days from a website. But what God gives us and what God promises us is not fleeting. It is not temporal. It's not blown away by the wind. That God, the God of the universe who is worshipped day and night and the angels cry, holy, 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 stepped out of heaven and dwelt among us and was born in a manger to make a way for you and I. To not just do life by ourselves, but to do life with him. And I, I love in particular the Psalms. 
I love them because they're not refined. Like there's, there's the Sunday morning version of us and there's the, uh, you know, everything's clean and polished and then there's like the 2 p.m. sweatpant version of you. Am I the only one that goes home and puts on fat pants? Okay, I thought you were my people, right? It's like the first thing you do when you walk in, like, oh, jeans, get behind me, you know? Um, what, I, what I love is that as the authors, especially as David, as he's writing the Psalms, it's not like with the intention that somebody's gonna put this behind music one day and somebody's gonna cover it and sing it from a stage. They were declarations of his heart. This is how I feel. God, this is in light of, of that. This is what truth is. And it was real. It's honest. It's vulnerable. In Psalm 13, most of us have thought this, if not prayed it before. In the midst of pain, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of death, in the midst of loss, in the midst of circumstances that feel so heavy that you question God's existence in your life. David says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day I have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemies will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. This is not David being emo. This is not David being Eeyore. This is not David just saying, woe is me. This is David saying before the Lord, God, this is how I feel. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't let his feelings dictate the truth. He doesn't let his feelings dictate the posture of his heart and his soul. Instead, he says this, verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. The promise of Emmanuel is that he is the source of our joy. And I know for some in this room, I would imagine that just as for Isaiah, it was the year King Uzziah died. For some of you, this is the year that a dream died. A year that a marriage died. A year that a relationship died. A year that a loved one died. A year when, when something feels dead inside. That's exactly when Emmanuel showed up in the story. And for you and I today, the promise and the thing that we get to hold on to, not as ethereal, not as something, uh, some substance that can't be attained to, but the firm grasp that you and I have, the promise of God Almighty is that he is Emmanuel. He is with us. So Lord, we pray. God, we pray that you would remind our hearts of the truth, of the firm, solid foundation that you are not just God who is distant, orchestrating the cosmos, but you are God who is present right now with me in the midst of my confusion and pain and uncertainty. The 
same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that dwells within us, those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So Lord, despite what we see, despite what we feel, despite what we're told, may we remember that you are Emmanuel, God with us, God for us. So we lift high your name today. We worship you. And it's in your holy, precious name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.